Uh, for those of you I haven't met yet, my name is Joshua Bowditch, and this morning what we're going to be doing is uh, a panel conversation, right? So our theme for this morning is praying as you are. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to walk through different stories of our journeys in prayer, and then we're going to do a bit of prayer, and then we'll break for a time of communion. So in terms of our panel, we have Marella Watson, who is strong mother, good friend, supportive wife, wife to Brad, mother to Nora, Maite, and Truman, and then Chris Scruton, earnest, bold, steady, uh, husband to Katie, father to Ryan, and Owen. Uh, our scripture for today is Matthew 11, 25 through 30. So I'll read that for you now, and then we'll, we'll jump right in. So at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, this morning we pray that you would help us to come into a biblical understanding of how you would have us speak with you and approach you and find ourselves rooted and grounded in you and having all of the, the benefits of being rooted in our, our one and true source, Lord. We thank you for this time to, to chat about it. We pray that you would bless this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. So some of the big things that we wanted to you to walk away with this morning was that um, when it comes to prayer, you know, it really begins with us coming to Jesus with our burdens, our weariness, and our neediness. Um, when, I was, when Brad asked me to lead this and emcee it, I started thinking about what are some of the myths or some of the misconceptions people have when it comes to prayer and approaching God. And uh, some of them are, you know, you first have to get yourself clean, right? Like you're going before some very important person. So you have to get suited up and clean shaven and showered and all. Everything has to be perfect about your life. Everything has to be really nice. And then you can approach him. And then you're now worthy to be in his presence, right? Um, other myths I've heard are God's kind of like Disney's genie, except he's not blue. But you're coming to him in prayer, and it's just like a laundry list of, oh, God, if only you would give me all the things I've ever wanted, right? All the material things I've ever wanted. If you could somehow make reality work the way I think it should work, you'd be really great. Three wishes, right? And you can't wish for more wishes because, of course, it's against the rules. You know, you can't be, you got to limit the grace somehow. Um, but the reality is what we see is that the God of the Bible is, is very different. Right, so there's two passages I'll draw your attention to. Uh, the first one, they're both in Psalms, right? So the first one, Psalms 100, one through five, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. How often do you think about coming to God in prayer singing, right? Know that the Lord, know that the Lord, he is God. 
It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So in this first passage, what we're seeing is how we should enter into prayer. You know, you're coming in joyful. You're coming in praising and singing. Even if you don't feel that way, it's not as if you have to approach God with, you know, 16th century English, King James Version, all the vows and the arts. Like, coming to him in a sense of, like, a joy that you would expect, the joy that you would see in midst of suffering. Like, that's appropriate, right? You're coming in because you belong there and you're expected to be there. Um, and you are, you're thankful as you come into his, his presence. Uh, the second passage is Psalm 8. And I think this one is, and I'll read one through four, but this is by far one of those anchor verses I always come back to uh, in, my, in my prayer life. And so it reads this way. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. And then these last two verses is where I typically can come undone. Um, when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you've set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? And I just, it always floors me how sometimes I take it for granted that God does care about us personally. And you think about trying to get on the agenda of just an executive in your company or someone who's in charge of the school system where your kids are in or pick any other organization so I can be as maximally inclusive here in this, you know, uh, illustration as possible, right? Imagine trying to get in touch with the head person. They have a busy agenda. They have to deal with everyone's issues and all the conversations, right? And it's very difficult to get, a, to get time with a mere human, much less the divine God of the universe who is self-existing, Right? And, ha and is literally binding and keeping all things together. And yet, while he's doing that, he's simultaneously listening for you to pray to him. And he already knows your heart. He already knows what's going on in your life, but he's listening. And to me, I'm just like, God, you must have better things to do <laughs> than worry about me. But again, it says, what are mere mortals that you should think about us? that you should care for them, and yet he does. And so again, as you think about coming into this season of prayer and you think about praying as you are, I just hope that you would keep in mind that Jesus is big enough for our burdens, for our weariness, and for our neediness. So, Mirella, I'll hand it over to you. Hello. Hello. I feel like we should have like a Q&A after what you just said. Because I'm sure like so many questions. Do you guys want to do a Q&A? Do a Q&A. <laughs> can do it. Here. We can do whatever. Um, yeah, so I, thanks for sharing, Josh. Um, I'm no prime prayer, which is funny that I was asked to be in this panel. But um, 
I, I guess my experience with wrestling with God has to do with death, which is never a fun topic. Um, and I think we've all experienced death in some ways, like losing something, right? Like we lose jobs or we move homes or we move cities. And so there's always a loss. Um, my experience, I experienced some of those things too, but my experience specifically is with ooh, losing my mom. Oh gosh, that was quick. Um, and Katie and I have talked a lot about death because losing a person that's dear to your heart is never easy. Um, and there's no level of um, like one death is not more profound than the other. A death is a death, right? It's a cut, it's end of life. Um, you can't look forward to things without, uh, with that person. And so it's difficult. Um, so where does God enter in all this? About uh, 2010, actually, so 12 years ago, I lost my mom. And we had just moved to Portland. We were fairly new in the city. Um, and I uh, was hoping that my mom would come up to Portland and visit us and we'd be able to show her our new home and all that stuff. Well, that never happened. And um, a happy baby shower that I was enjoying at my friend's house in St. Louis turned into, you know, rerouting our trip, my trip back to Portland. Uh, instead of going back, I went to Chicago. Then met, Brad met me up there. We went down to Brazil to take care of all the loose ends that we, I had to take care of with losing my mom. I was an only child raised by her. So she was a pretty pivotal person in my whole life. Through all the changes, ups and downs, she was always there. Um, so when I lost my mom, um, I, it, it was weird because I had to deal with a lot of the logistics. And those of you who have experienced losing somebody, you know how that goes. You just kind of have to make decisions uh, very quickly. And, and there's almost no time to grieve. Like you don't have, there's no space, there's no time because your brain is just trying to solve problems, wrapping loose ends. Um, and I did a lot of that in Brazil. And then when I came back to Portland, I was like, okay, how do I move on? Because I literally felt like I had a limp in my leg or in some part of my body where I just could not live the same way that I did before. It's a weird, it's a weird thing to explain. Um, but uh, the thing with grief is I think of it, grief in two ways. One, it's kind of like you're walking forever with a limp, right? Like you just won't walk the same way again. Life won't be the same. Um, my mom won't be in my life anymore. My mom never got to meet my kids. She never got to meet my house in Portland. She never got to visit Portland. She never got to come here. Like the rest of my life isn't gonna exist without her, right? So there's just, that's just a difficult and strange way for me to live. And then the second thing about grief is it's just really heavy. Like, um, I think when Jesus says like, bring me your burdens, I think that's what he's talking about. It's really, really heavy. And it's also strange because nobody else is feeling it. You're the only person feeling it. So some days you wake up, some days I woke up, and I literally could not get out of bed. Call it depression, call it whatever you want to call it. It's just so, so heavy. It's like your body can't move. And I remember thinking, how do I 
move on, right? Like, um, how do I continue to live life with hope when death is like right here next to me? And I wrestle with God um, when I found strength to wrestle (laughs) because um, grief is so heavy that sometimes you're just really tired. And I got, I had, there were days where I had no strength to fight. I literally was just like, well, I can't go to work today. Sorry. Um, thankfully, my job wasn't any sort of life-saving things like some of you do in this room. So it didn't make that much difference. But um, I think for me personally, I also started wrestling with God. Um, because how is death a good thing? And isn't God a good God? And that question lingered in my head for a very, very long time. And I wish I had an answer to give you. Um, But in my wrestling with God, what I learned through prayer and and my wrestling turned into prayer is that I, I had two choices to make. I could continue to be really upset and really angry and really um, sad forever and never address God about it, right? I could just continue to live my life and do my tasks and go to work and just pretend that God didn't exist because did he really care? Is he really good? Like, couldn't he have saved my mom? Couldn't he have, like, healed her? He could. I believe he could. For some reason, he chose not to. Um, So I had a choice to make. I could address him with all of those questions, which feels really hard and vulnerable, right? Like, I'm kind of questioning the God of the universe. (laughs) And it's like, I mean, people always say, well, look at Job, you know, what did God say to Job? Yes, sure. Like, that's a great platitude, but what goes on here is different. So, um... That was a choice that I had to make. Or I could go to God and I could say all of these questions that I had. Are you good? What are you doing? And I think my biggest one was, how can I trust that life will be good? Right? Because when death is right here, nothing feels good. And it's weird because everybody else's life seems to have moved on, but you're still feeling that thing. Or carrying that void and that loss. And so you start asking and wondering, is life ever going to be good again? So what I did was I just wrestled with the Lord. I just asked him those questions through my prayer time. And um, it was scary because it was very vulnerable for me. And we're all different humans, right? We're all made differently. Um, I love solitude. Um, all the extroverts in the room are like, um, but I, I think for me, and there's a, there's a hymn writer, um, in Steele who, um, she wrote, um, a hymn that talks about like in the secret, the lines are in the secret of his presence, how my soul delights to hide and I really resonate with that. In those moments are the moments that I can find to wrestle with the Lord and ask those questions. So in my journey with my grief, um, that's one thing I try to do. And I would say for my experience and just what the Lord has 
shed some light for me, especially with the question of, is it ever going to be good again? Um, I always go back to Isaiah 55. That was a passage that God really highlighted for me in that season. And Isaiah 55 has that famous one of like, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. And that passage is great, don't get me wrong. Like, all the Bible is amazing. Um, Even the hard stuff, I'm sure it's there for a reason. Um, But what I really like in this passage is verse 12, um, where the Lord's talking about um, the beauty and the joy that happens with hope in nature. And um, he says, for you shall go out in joy and be let back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you will burst into song and the trees of the field will clap their hands. And this picture of joy and happiness and partying and what that passage tells me um, is that there is a future. There is a hope. There is a joy. And that even though things are not okay right now, and and just because it's been 12 years doesn't mean that I'm okay. Um, Like, my mom will never meet my kids. My kids will never meet my mom. That thing is really sad. And so um, there's grief for sure, but we can go out with joy and with hope. And I try to look forward and look back and try to hold both in my prayer, because I know I know God. We're talking about this. God can handle it. Um, it is it is part of my story, and I, I'm sure all of us have some sort of loss in our lives that we can take to Jesus. Um, and my um, encouragement is: there's no loss too small for us to take to Jesus. Um, even if your pain is, I lost my childhood home, and I wish I could go back. That's super valid. So, um, like I said, I'm not a pro in prayer, but um, that's kind of my story. And I think with that verse, what I try to do even in days when I wake up and I say, oh, man, I wish my kids could be my mom, is um, if it's not okay, then it's not the end, right? And this is not the end. So, um, yeah, you go, Chris. Thank you for sharing that. So I'm going to share a little bit about my journey, which uh, I think is a lot more of a, a God on mute or engaging God uh, in the silence. And so I've, I've been seriously following Jesus maybe about 14 years or so, and I would say it's been a, a pretty complicated journey. And you're like, well, wait, how do you make prayer complicated? Isn't it just like talking to God? Well, let me tell you, I found a way to make it complicated. So yeah, I look back on, on some of that journey, it's just like, well, what I wanted immediately was to find all the different ways to pray or all the, you know, there's healing prayer, there's listening prayer, there's 24-hour prayer, there's meditative prayer, there's intercession. And it's just like I um, spend a lot of time in my head, as you'll come to hear through this story. And I was caught up in just, again, learning the right way and the best way and how can I apply prayer the right way in this situation and, or for this opportunity. And so... Um, yeah, again, just the brokenness of my own soul wants to find a, a way to take my heart out of it, you know, where I think, again, prayer is really my heart engaging with God and, and make it my head uh, engaging with God, which, again, leads to a quest more for, for knowledge and achievement and understanding and not for knowing, knowing uh, who God is and his heart. And so, yeah, for me, perfectionism really gets in the way of prayer often um, because for me, kind of like what the verse says, it's hard for me to come to Jesus. It's a battle because 
um, I'm too busy in my own head to try to get it right. I'm just trying to like figure things out for myself, trying to process, trying to think, and I can't just simply come and rest at his feet. Um, because again, I want to understand all the details and the right way to do it. Um, and what he has been showing me is I'm putting myself at the center, right? I'm taking him, the perfect one, away from the center. Um, I'm striving for some sort of ideal of what I think it should look like instead of just sitting at the feet of the perfect one and letting him uh, change me. And so I do, uh, I do attempt uh, to come to Jesus daily. Like it is by his grace that I'm able, I think most days, to try to set aside time with him. But I think the sad part when I look at that is how little I actually am engaging with God. Again, this kind of like it being in my head, I'm usually trying to read something or pray for others, right? And and not that intercession is bad by any means, but what I, my heart sees intercession as productive, as something that I can accomplish or make progress towards. Um, and it is so easy to skip over the time of just sitting with him, of being with him, of letting his love kind of wash over me and reveal himself to me. And so of where am I now in this journey? I think similarly, I, I don't feel like a pro at all. Sometimes prayer still feels very unknown. You know, I, like I said, I go sit in my, at my desk in the morning, and I'm kind of just like, wow, I've been doing this routine or this habit for years, years and years, and I still sometimes just sit there and feel so far from God. There feels like such a void, such an empty space. Um, yeah, I don't find my prayer time uh, particularly like emotional or deep or or rich. You know, most most days I don't feel much of all to be to be honest. Um, like I said, I, I do more often come daily out of a out of a habit than desiring um, an encounter with the living God. Um, but by His grace, lately I have started uh, to see small cracks um, of a shift. Um, those days when I can persist in trying to quiet my mind and actually desire to hear from him, to not try to learn something new, to not try to accomplish something in this time, um, that he is there. I actually can sense him and, and know that he uh, is there, and he is reminding me that he always has been. You know, he could shout at me, to get my attention, he certainly could, and I know he has, but in the, the mundane every day, I actually think he is drawing me closer to himself in the silence and in the waiting, and this is, I think, really well depicted, zero credit for this story, but I read this story recently about a dad uh, teaching his son on how to ride a bike. And for weeks, the dad would really let the son cling on to him, and he'd be like next to him and kind of like taking him down the road. Um, but of course, when the dad tried to like let him go and let him go on his own, the, the, the son would, would freak out and wouldn't let go, and he would fall over like every time. 
because he, he knew that the physical support, he needed it there and his presence was there. But again, the son didn't make any progress towards learning how to ride a bike. And it wasn't until, through some advice, that the father was, was encouraged to stand behind his son and not have his hand on his son at all, but on the, the seat of the bike. And in this way, right, the son didn't like the shift at all, right? He couldn't feel his father's presence anymore. He didn't know he couldn't see him. He couldn't feel him on his body. But his dad was still there. His dad didn't care less about him. If anything, his dad actually cared more about him to, to find the way to help his son experience the joy of riding a bike. And I think it's the same for me. So maybe though I don't often feel the Father's presence when I'm looking for him, I think he's teaching me something new and deeper about his love uh, through, the, through the process that I wouldn't understand otherwise without him you know, removing his, his, his presence from me. So maybe in his infinite love and his infinite grace, he's drawing me into deeper waters of trust and faith to know that he is there always, even if I don't feel him. And so, yeah, as to kind of to finish my, my sharing, you know, I'm learning more and more to accept that God just desires me to come as I am. Again, like the verse says, with my busy thoughts, with my wondering mind, you know, even on those days I don't find success in shutting them off, that simply coming to be with him um, is enough. And I did want to share, uh, you know, the message paraphrase of the, the last part of the verse that Josh read. Um, you know, it says this. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. You how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I think that phrase is what strikes me so much. They're unforced. You know, he does not place that burden upon us. And they are his grace, not my own. Appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> so in terms of my story, you know, this is one where I grew up in an independent Baptist church. Um, like all good Baptists, I acknowledged the Holy Spirit, but largely didn't think about him. Um, and prayer was a performance, expecting a reward, rather than a son seeking his father's wisdom, love, and embrace. And I can't underscore that enough. It's such a monumental shift for someone who grew up in the church where prayer was one of the things you needed to learn how to do, do well. And if you're doing it well, you're a good Christian. And it's just, it's such an artifice. It's so faulty. Um, and so for me, what I learned is, and this is what, this is just my, my opinion, <clears throat> but I think the most important thing for us to do when we approach God is to approach him authentically. And so what I mean by that is if you're angry, let him know, let him feel it, let him hear it. If you're scared, let him know. 
If you can't understand how he could have let this happen to you after all the promises he's listed in his scriptures and you're not quite sure why you're even wasting your time praying to him if he's not going to protect you, tell him that too. He's big enough to handle it. Uh, You're not going to scare him away with your anger or your rage or your doubt. Take it to him and and talk with him. And so for me, that was the biggest learning. I, um, I thought that I had to, it was a, it felt like some type of performative act where I like would come into God in prayer, pretending like everything's fine and saying all the right words or the right sequences, you know, Thanksgiving and then confession and then adoration and supplication. And you're like going through all this, all this stuff, which is useful. But at the end of the day, what the biggest change in my story was realizing like, Prayer needs to be very practical and very useful. Like if prayer, if you're doing prayer right, then it should be something you rely on, right? Like it should be like if you had a broken leg and you had your crutches and you need crutches, you're using your crutches. And if you are trying to walk somewhere without your crutches, you're going to feel it. You're going to know it. So for me, prayer became a, some days prayer was armor, because I know I was going to be dealing with difficult people that day, and I needed to pray and talk to God and ask him to remind me of who he is and who I am in him and what he's told me about myself and like speak those truths over myself and fight to believe them and wrestle with him until I did believe him. So when I went into those situations and the things happened, which I knew were going to happen, I was able to maintain my self-control. Right? I was able to be a more reasonable, grounded individual. Even though I was feeling raw and tender, I would, was shielded. Because I spent time in prayer before going in. Some days it's prayer is fuel, right? Where you wake up and you're like, if I don't pray today, I'm not getting through it. I'm not getting through the day. And so it's just praying to God for him to give you that hope and that encouragement that Um, of who he is and what his promises are and that he is sovereign. And even though you see things that are very unsettling in the news and on social media or at your company, like at the end of the day, none of those, you're not, those things do not determine the joy of your life or how you should feel about your reality. At least for me, it's God and his truth. He is unchanging. He is sovereign. He is consistent. He is in control. And you can hear me going into kind of a rhythm, but like that's what's going on in my head. And I'm basically like, it's like the opposite of catastrophizing. It's like I'm in, like inverted and I'm like reminding myself of who God is so that I can, you know, go through the day. And then the last one is weaponry, which, you know, shouldn't be a surprise to anyone looking at me. Like I'm into, you know, masculine weaponry and things of that nature, but then I point you to Ephesians 6, and I'm not that far off. Um, But what I mean by weaponry is the scriptures talk about taking every thought captive. It talks about, you know, um, the shield of faith and the sword of truth. Like, I'm not inventing these metaphors. And so practically, pragmatically, how you do it, what it looks like is when a thought comes into my head and I'm like, going to take it negatively or it's going to tempt me or it's going to cause me to lash out at somebody, you know, I pray in that moment. And I think, yeah, but God said. I can't do that because God said. Or remember 
God said this about the situation, or that's just a lie, and a very obvious lie, too. It's actually badly executed as a lie. And I just cut it up with my sword. And like to me, that's still prayer. It's still prayer. And that's why when I say, that's why we say, you know, pray as you are, come as you are. It's important that we don't get so like high and lofty in our theology, although theology is sacred and good, that we forget to be practical, right? Jesus met people where they were in their lives. Like he was, like he had dirt under his fingernails, okay? He wasn't some pristine, prissy, floating on top of the, the, the walkway person. He was in the muck with the people and he's still that way now. And so when it comes to prayer, like it sh- you should be looking, you should be looking to God like it's, it's almost like the e-brake in your car, although hopefully none of us ever had to use one, but like, or brakes on a bicycle, like you're going along the path of life and everything's fine. Something happens and you know your instinct should be to reach for it, right? Like that should be the instinct is, oh, I need to pray, right? Like it's just like, that's where it should go. It shouldn't be to your idols. It shouldn't be to the other, these other empty things that won't work. It's prayer. And so for me, that's what prayer has looked like. And so in conclusion, um, I want to kind of tie this together with the gospel, right? Because in the past, you know, when you needed something from God or wanted something from God, you had to go to a priest and then you would bring the priest in a very complicated system, some type of combination of wine, oil, fowl, or various um, hooved animals, and they would sacrifice them and, and then do intercession on your behalf, but Jesus, right? Um, so this is Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Now that, there's a whole sermon series just in that passage. But what I want to bring us to, to focus on is that in the times of old, As I said, a normal follower would have to work through the priesthood for communion and forgiveness, sacrificing animals, blood, altars, the Holy of Holies, which is in the very back of the tabernacle, right behind a curtain, like the priests couldn't even go in. I think there's like one super priest who go in on special days after a special ceremony. And then like regular normies, you're not going into this building. You're not going into the tabernacle at all, let alone in before the Holy of Holies, let alone through the veil. So like this is a massive... Uh, change of operations. And Christ is the one who bought us that access to him in such a way. But so God tore the veil and gave us unlimited access to him. So now we only need to pause and pray towards him and he hears us. And this is amazing. Like, have you really considered that, saints? Like, have you really thought about the fact that, like, we, there was no only human person who fought their way and was good enough to like tear the veil and force a way in for us to be able to be with God. God tore it himself 
He, will, he made the way for you to come talk to him. That is like, you want to talk about intention and action? You can read his intentions. He has opened it. And he did it by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, which is just incredible. So looking at our time here, um, you know, the last thing we'll do before we move into, so as far as segmenting this service here, um, the next step would be a time of prayer for all of us just to pray. Um, and then we'll move into communion and then we'll close out in worship and do benediction as you'd expect. But if anyone does have any burning questions that you want to ask the panel, I think we can sacrifice two minutes to do that. Uh, and if not, then I can just lead us into the next section. Yep. Thank you. Questions going once. Questions going twice. No questions. All right. So then what I want to do here is we'll just spend three to four minutes in prayer. If you want to grab somebody, pray together. If you want to just pray by yourself, that's fine. Uh, but let's just spend some time in prayer. And I have a few prompts for you to think about. And you don't have to use one of these, but just to get your mind going. Um, so the first one is this statement. The only thing standing in the way of me having a wonderful week full of life is X. Whatever X is, take that to God in prayer this morning. Or how could God love me after I did X? Whatever that sin was, God is bigger, wants to forgive it, and you need to confess it during prayer to God and then ask him for his forgiveness and ask him for the grace to accept his forgiveness. And the last one, again, just a prompt here. If you can't, if you couldn't bring anything to God that would cause him to reject you or turn you away, what would you talk to him about? Ask him now. Please ask him now. So let's do three to four minutes of prayer here. You did rend that veil. That you looked down upon your creation and you saw the pain and the suffering. And you said that you would make a way, that you would redeem us to you. But not only did you make the way, Lord, as if you're building a bridge, but you paid the price for us to cross it because we never could come up with the fees, the funds to pay the price to get across, God. But you didn't just give us a bridge to come back to you. You didn't just pay for it. And then we're just, you know, benefactors, enjoying being near you, kind of. But the fact that you've adopted us and brought us in into your family, that you want us to understand that we are your children, Lord, and you want us to talk to you, and talk to you using our language, our words, our emotions, Father, knowing that you understand and that you, are, that you care, that you've took on flesh and walked a life with us, that you've buried friends, You've, been, you've felt betrayal. So Lord, we thank you 
and we bless your name and we worship you for we are continually discovering how beautiful you are and what you've done for us in this life, Lord. So I thank you. I pray that you would help us to carry this spirit of closeness to you and a readiness to pray as we go out this week, Lord. I pray that you bless this time of communion that we're about to enter into. In Jesus' name, amen.